are entering the Doctor's Lounge. I am your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, and uh, you are listening to the place where doctors go to have conversations amongst themselves and talk about the things that are important to them. The Doctor's Lounge is brought to you by America's Web Radio and by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We are a 501c3 organization. Uh, We are the only health policy think tank composed exclusively of full-time practicing physicians. So not only do we study the issues uh, about as much as everybody else, but then we go and we live it every day. And so today, for instance, was my full day. I was in the operating room all day. For the rest of the week, I will be in clinic all day. But we don't spend a great deal of time uh, beyond uh, the evenings and weekends. So we bring the best to you of not only the scholarly review of healthcare policy issues, but also being able to uh, live that every day. Uh, at the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, we seek to preserve the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship. We, and we see a new age coming. We see a new age coming in healthcare in which docs are finding each other. They're finding their voice. They're speaking out. They're gaining knowledge and wisdom from each other. We are refining the message, and we are taking patient advocacy beyond the exam room to Capitol Hill, to state legislatures, to anyone who needs to hear the message that the doctor-patient relationship is the crown jewel of quality health care. I don't care how many quality boxes you check. I don't care how many fields you fill out in your EMR. If you don't have a doctor-patient relationship, you have nothing. So to the end of doctors finding their voice and doctors speaking out, I have a very special guest today, Dr. James Bailey, who is at the um, UT Memphis campus. He got his MD and his Master's of Public Health at the University of Alabama at Birmingham did his internship and residency at the University of Washington at Seattle in internal medicine, is currently a full professor of medicine at the UT Memphis Medical Center. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Dr. Kuruchek. It's just great to be here. Well, I want you to talk almost this whole hour about a very important thing that you've done. Uh, Like many academic physicians, you've written lots of articles and you've given lots of talks, but you've done one thing that very few academicians dare to do, and that is to write a very interesting book. And this isn't a healthcare textbook. This isn't just a review article. This is something very, very different. Uh, It's a book called The End of Healing. So please tell us about it. Well, Mike, it's actually exactly what you have just been talking about. It's a story about the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship and the challenges that it faces today. And I really began writing this story because I realized a little more than 10 years ago, about 14 years ago, that I could write journal articles every day for the best journals in the country and have them published in the New England Journal and the Annals of Internal Medicine. And it wasn't going to wake up both my colleagues and the minds and hearts of the people of America about what the real problems are in American health care and, frankly, in health care around the world. So I realized back 14 years ago about that what was really needed was a story. You know, people often learn best from stories. So 
I embarked on this crazy journey that we can talk about some, but to write a novel, to write my first novel. And The End of Healing is the story of a young physician and his discovery of the dark underworld of the healthcare industry. Really the things we hide often from one another because they're too painful to talk about. Some of our deepest, darkest problems. And it's about his quest to find a way to be an authentic healer in the modern world. He also, in the process of that, tries to get to the bottom of what he thinks is a conspiracy by the major, many of the major players in American health care to defraud the, the people of America of their health for profit. And so it's his story, his track, being on the track of what he thinks is a conspiracy and his trying to find a better way to be a real authentic healer in today's world. So you go through in the book a lot of almost chapter by chapter um, some of these other players, players that are hidden from view. You know, I've often called them competitive stakeholders. Um, you may have a far better term for them, but the book describes them in exquisite detail and not just sort of listening in class as so much of the book uh, takes up, but even in some other places, you know, some trips that the main characters take to Washington, D.C. and the National Institutes of Health and uh, so many other places. So could you tell us about some of those? Sure. You know, these wonderful characters, of course, the the center of the story is Dr. Don Newman, who begins the story as an internal medicine resident, and he's in his second and third year of residency. And the story begins with him really waking up in a very dark place. And almost every physician I've ever met is had this dark moment in their career where they realized that they were doing work that wasn't what they planned to do, that instead of helping people, felt like it was more hurting people. And and my young protagonist wakes up on a night on call. He goes to see a terminally ill woman in whom he's been asked to put in a central line. You know, every internal medicine resident I know has had to do that. And he realizes when he gets to her bedside that this is not something that she wants. And yet he feels compelled as an employee of his university, of the hospital, he feels compelled to do this This what seems to him almost like an assault at the time. And that's where my story starts, is really in his real dark moment where he, he, he says to himself, oh my God, harm has become my business. I swore not to, um, I swore not to do, uh, my oath was not to do harm. And, Um, Here, harm has somehow become my business. So he is really the center of the story. And the other two main characters are the other two students that study with him in this uh, Eastern Ivy League um, uh, graduate program for health system change. These young students are trying to 
run to become agents for change in healthcare, positive agents for healthcare change. And one is a beautiful nurse named Frances Hunt. She's a nurse practitioner, and we find out pretty quickly that even though she's beautiful, she's smarter than either of the two guys. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, you know, with that background of it, economics and everything else. And then the other character is a surgeon named Bruce Markham. And we realize with him early in the story that he comes from a very influential family and his father is a major leader in the healthcare industry. Um, and so they both get to know each other in the context of this graduate program with an iconoclastic professor, much like many of the curmudgeonly professors that we've probably all encountered during medical school and residency, who is a aggressive advocate for health system improvement in America. And so this iconoclastic professor, whose name is Dr. Gil Sampson, guides these students through the dark side, really, of modern health care. And they actually take a tour through their coursework and in person and in their personal lives of the major health care sectors. They learn about the ambulance chasers. You know, they really investigate and get to the heart of the money spent on malpractice and on um, making money off of people's misfortune um, uh, through the legal sector. They study the insurance industry. They study in a chapter called the insurance salesman. Um, they study the pharmaceutical industry in a chapter called the drug pushers. They, and in that one, they have some real adventures that perhaps we'll talk about later, but uh, there's nothing uh, like firsthand experience when, when you're trying to learn about an industry or how, whether it's uh, legal or illegal and how it operates. Well, I, what struck me reading the book was, was two things. Uh, and it's important to delineate these because I want doctors to read this book, but I also want non-physicians to read this book. So, you know, one of the messages I was going to put out in today's show is if you're not a physician, and we have both physicians and non-physicians in the audience, even if you're not a physician, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this book that this is sort of a doctor's only thing or it's sort of a inside sort of thing that you won't understand it unless you're already a physician. Now, I think a reader who's a physician will get will have a very different experience with the book than a non-physician. As a physician, I read this book and identified with just about every piece of the plot happening at some point somewhere or another and you talk about having to, you know, put a, a central line an IV line into somebody who's desperately ill in the middle of the night and you say, "Oh yeah, you know, been there and done that about a thousand times." And uh, you get that that sense of futility that that he got, you know, not only beyond futility, but, you know, actually doing harm is something that I think uh, we can all identify with. And then the other thing is the the characters, right? You have four characters in this book, and three of them are in a love triangle. 
And um, I think every single one, each of those characters, like I knew somebody in my med school class who was that person down to the almost the last detail. You know, the one who was well connected and powerful, the one who was gorgeous and smarter than everyone else. And then, of course, everyone identifies, you know, with Don. So yes, it's Dr. Uh, Don Newman. Dr. Don Newman's. And so, uh, yeah, that, that whole thing was just, you know, you keep reading the book. I was, I, until the very end, I was having trouble figuring out whether, um, you know, the, the character who was, um, uh, was Markham, I think, right, was um, uh-huh. Bruce, whether, Markham. Bruce Markham, whether he was going to end up being a good guy or a bad guy. Because even as somebody who was, you know, well-connected with the family and was clearly born on one side of this fence... Uh, was very much um, struggling with, uh, w- with those things. Believe it or not, we are at the end of the first segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, here with very special guest, Dr. James Bailey, talking about his pivotal book called The End of Healing. Uh, and we were just in the middle of a couple of sentences talking about sort of the essence of the book, and you wanted to uh, uh, take the conversation in a, in a direction regarding audience. And I think we had started talking about that in, in terms of the difference uh, between the experience a physician will get with this book and what a non-physician will get with this book, emphasizing very importantly that both physicians and non-physicians will get something very significant out of the book. Yes, it's interesting, Dr. Kruchik. I I started this book in 2004, and as we talked about, I began to write what was then my very first novel, The End of Healing, to let really all Americans see their own stories through the eyes of a doctor and who gives them that inside perspective, which most of us don't get the chance to get unless we've 
had a family member that's experienced very serious illness or we ourselves have experienced chronic illness and been spent time in the hospital and in the clinics um, like most physicians and other healthcare workers do. And um, what I've found, uh, partly by design, but, but uh, much to my pleasure, is that the people that have really been there, the patients that have had their family members experience terrible and severe illness, chronic illness, um, those people seem to, seem to especially like this book and understand, and, and, and it resonates for them. It says, oh, that's what was happening. That's why that happened to my mother. Oh, my goodness. They, again and again, people have come to me and said, that was exactly like the experience my mother had or my father had or my child had. So uh, I felt that that's given me a lot of satisfaction. But more importantly, I think it's important for all Americans to be able to see through the eyes of, of, the, of the healthcare workers and the patients that um, can give us their perspectives on where our health system does well and where it can go astray. No, no question about it. And, and I think even even doctors read that story and and remember our own patients who go through things like that. I, I've, I've got a patient that uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see if uh, she will let me share her story. But it's a it's a very frustrating story. That it really has to do with the, the drug pushers chapter, which you said you wanted to kind of circle back to. But um in in my field in laryngology, I treat people with something called recurrent papillomas, and uh, they're a very uh, desperate group of folks because they get stuck having to go back to the operating room every three months or so for the rest of their life, and and of course that generates huge expenses and huge frustrations, and they're very interested in adjuvant therapies, and um, that's there's a particular patient of mine that I'm I'm, I'm hoping that she'll let me share her story, but uh, putting two and two together and sort of reading the book and and seeing what's happened to her, I, I kind of had that experience kind of on her behalf uh, about how frustrating it can be to try to f- make the system deliver the care that you desperately need. Right. It, it's, and it's hard for, I think, us as physicians and our patients to face up to the fact that things don't always go well. Um in American healthcare. I think what really brought that home to me, my in my day job, I'm primarily a healthcare researcher. I do spend a day a week in the clinic in internal medicine and many weekends covering patients and taking care of patients in the hospital um, and teaching residents and medical students. But a lot of my work is healthcare research. And studying how to make healthcare more efficient and more effective for the things that people need most, you know, the basic care that they need most. And when the, the, when I got a little bit disillusioned was in early 2000 when the prestigious Institute of Medicine released its famous report titled To Air is Human. Yes. And that report, I think, some people know. You know it. 
because you've studied these things, I think, Dr. Kruchik. Yeah. But, um, but that report documented that somewhere around 100,000 Americans are killed by medical mistakes in hospitals every year, making medical mistakes the number one cause of accidental death in America. Now, it came to no big surprise to people in my scientific di- discipline. I knew, being a healthcare health systems researcher, that our system has a lot of problems and that they sometimes resulted in errors, frequently resulted in errors. But I thought when that report came out that everyone would be outraged and would be determined immediately to change that, you know, that it shouldn't be that way and we needed to make health care safe and effective for everyone. But to my dismay, really, in 2000, after that report came out, nothing happened. The few people that read about the report or, or looked at it didn't really believe it. And it's, that's when I realized that Americans needed a story, and it needed to be a real story about the experiences our patients and our health care providers experience every day. Well, it is very interesting that you highlight this this difference in reaction. I think the way I remember reading it was the equivalent of a jumbo jet crash every day in terms of the number of people who are losing their lives to medical errors. And I, I think you highlight some good reasons in the book. I think there's you know, a lot of uh, a cultural acceptance. You know, it's... Um, uh, what did what did Stalin say? One death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. So you put it in a in a number, and people go, "Well, okay, what do we do about that? We really don't know." And you just kind of move on. I think that's one of the things that your your book does exceptionally well is to bring that, if you know, focus into human terms, translate that sterile statistic into individual lives, individual doctors, individual patients. Uh, you know, the, um, the Sybil, the stroke victim that's right in the very beginning of the book and continues to pop up all the way through and, and say, wow, this is, this is not just, um, you know, sterile numbers. These are real people. Yes. It, I think that comes home for my protagonist when, you know, kind of the harsh reality of these statistics on 9-11, you may remember the book is set in 2000 through 2002. So it is a historical novel. It's set in the recent past, though. And on 9-11, it dawns on my protagonist, Dr. Newman, that more than enough people to fill a jumbo jet are killed every day by medical missteps in America, and that hospitals are more than five times more dangerous than our most deadly roadways. So that's, and for that care, as he learns later, you know, Americans back then were shelling out $20,000 a year for the average family of four. Now that's up to about 25000 a year that's being paid by them or on their behalf, on average, by their employers, you know, for insurance plus their out-of-pocket medical expenses. And oh, yeah. Medicare patients are paying... $50,000 a year now for the average Medicare age family of two, uh, $50,000 a year for health care. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. So this is kind of the harsh reality that, that these three young students are confronting, that not only is our system, the health care we deliver it as, as we deliver it, is frequently unsafe. And while we think we're getting the very best care available for the money, more than a third of our health care spending, as they learn, goes to pay both middlemen and for testing and procedures and so-called care that often is dangerous and things that aren't helpful. So, so, um, so, so on the subject kind of, of a, um, so, but let, let me jump a little bit here because I want to get this in before the end of the segment. So, on the subject of medical errors, right? The error is human, and, and the loss of a jumbo jet's worth of of souls every day. Uh, we have a lot of folks in healthcare who think or thought or continue to believe that health information technology, um, electronic medical records, health information exchanges, like you've written about. Um, are the solution, or at least a big part of the solution. So what do you think about, and, and to be fair, I'm, I'm blindsiding Dr. Bailey with this question. He didn't know this was coming. So um, what do you think about health information technology? How much potential does it have to fix this? Well, it certainly has some, and we could talk for a whole segment about this, I'll tell you, uh, Mike. Okay. But, um, but just, you know, the, the, the major benefit that we can draw from electronic health information is through sharing that information amongst providers, the providers caring for the patient so that unnecessary tests aren't repeated, right? So that, uh, that people, so that the various providers know what one another are doing. Sadly, We've gotten most of the problems of electronic health records, but we haven't gotten the sharing. Most health systems don't share their records with one another very effectively. So it's been a little bit of a botched implementation. We've gotten the increased time involved in all the electronic documentation. We've gotten, it ends up, the the research shows that that when doctors use electronic records, they actually order more tests. So we've got gotten to some extent more unnecessary tests because it's very easy to quickly click a bunch of tests on an electronic record. Um, but what we haven't got is what we need the most, and that's sharing of one electronic record amongst uh, a patient's providers. Well, I tell you what, we'll, my, um, we can we can pick this up at the beginning of the next segment. We got about forty five seconds, but I'll I'll put the teaser out there, um, which is that um, I I I feel like the emphasis needs to be just a little bit different. Uh, in my world as a ear, nose, and throat doc, my biggest frustration with the medical record and the lack of sharing is not so much that I need somebody's CT scan that was done at another hospital, but the fact that I can't even order the CT scan easily in the first place because the electronic medical record has absolutely no back-end connectivity to allow the system to do the scut work, right? You and I know the, that term, right. the, the, the grunt right. work, and get that done for me. So we'll pick that up at the beginning of the next segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with very special guest, Dr. Jim Bailey. Stay with us. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us again. Uh, we have very special guest, Dr. Jim Bailey um, from uh, UT Memphis, and we are talking about his book uh, called The End of Healing. And we had sort of gone from that into talking about uh, health information technology and medical errors. We had discussed the landmark article called To Air is Human from several years ago and whether or not uh, electronic medical records had the potential to fix that problem. So I'm just going to stop there, uh, Dr. Bailey, and let you pick up where we left off. Sure. You know, I, I really appreciate this opportunity, Dr. Gruchek. And, and, you know, I don't want to give your listeners the impression that this story, The End of Healing, is all dark. I mean, what we've talked about so far is the problems that these young people, these young uh, healers, this this doctor, this nurse practitioner, and this surgeon who are all in this pro- graduate program for health system change, you know, the problems they discover. And I have to say there is a lot of darkness in this book, but it's really about the making of a hero and about the kind of heroes we need so desperately in healthcare. And you and I have been lucky to know a lot of those heroes, and I think given your work um, in the political realm to try and address some of the insanity, I'd say uh, you probably qualify as well, Dr. Gruchik. Oh, well, um, thanks. Certainly you do. I, you know, we're just... We're all learning this together, right? I mean, you know, how long have docs been writing novels? I mean, that's a new trick for us as well. And I think we're, we're finally figuring out that, you know, patient advocacy can't stop at the exam room. It can't stop at the operating room or the clinic. I mean, we have to take this message out because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll digress for just a minute and, and tell you a story I've told uh, other folks before, which is the first time that we went to Washington, D.C. around 2008, 2009. The message that we got was, well, guys, you know, it's great that you're here, but where have you been? 
And, and I've actually cleaned up the language of the particular uh, representative who said that to us. It was a bit more colorful than that. But their message was, look, we haven't heard from you for 50 years. We thought you were okay with all this. And so, you know, we're starting from scratch here. So, you know, yeah, Doc's – you know, go ahead. To bring the doctor's voice and the nurse's voice and the surgeon's voice and, most importantly, the patient's voice to into the political process, I think, is, a, is, an, is especially important in this day and time. And, you know, my impression, like yours, um, is that when that physician – or other healthcare professional comes not just representing their interest, but first and foremost representing the interest of their patients. That's when they're heard. Um, and it sounds like that's been your experience as well. Well, it's getting better with time. Uh, you know, I will tell you that, you know, the first several trips, you know, we just kind of, you know, hit a brick wall and fell flat on our back and just got up and, and did it again. And and we had to mature, and that's that's come along very well. And uh, we've talked about that on other shows in the past. So uh, you and I get together, you know, over a, over a, a beverage uh, sometime, and I can fill you in on everything that we've done uh, to this point, some successful and, and some not. But... Um, but uh, we were going to talk a little bit about um, the difference, I think. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. We need to digress just a minute because I, I promised you that we were going to talk about your visit to Atlanta and to Emory University for a book signing and a lecture, which is coming up in a couple of days. So let's do that. That sounds great. So um, the short story is I'll be meeting with students in the IHI, that stands for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, the IHI uh, Open School at Emory University, and I'll be meeting with uh, medical students, uh, nursing students, and public health students there, as well as some residents and faculty, um, to talk a bit about the end of healing and the path to high-value healthcare, how we can get to high-value health care, and that's really the, the path that my young protagonist, Don Newman, is on. So I'll be in the School of Nursing building at um, uh, on the Emory campus in room 112 from 12 to 1 on Thursday. Is it February 17th? Is that right? Uh, let's see. I'll have to look and see what day of the week that is. Thursday is... The eighteenth, uh, yes, Thursday the eighteenth, and more, and that is open to the public. And more importantly, uh, I'll be having a book signing and talking a, briefly about the book and answering questions at the Barnes and Noble at Emory University um, at thirteen ninety Oxford Road Northeast from five to seven p.m. And my address there will be at six p.m. Roughly, is that what you wanted to know? Yes, absolutely. I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody, you know, the where and the when for, uh, you know, your upcoming um, Atlanta visit. So, well, and and I think it it we going back to where we left off before we go back into talking about electronic records. I would love to follow up on one thing you said. You know, the students in this uh, story do take a couple of two-week-long field trips to Washington, D.C., and we all know that some of our our problems are coming from the federal government, right? Yes. From uh, problems with bureaucracy, problems with um, 
legislators that don't seem to be able to work together and, and don't seem to be able to craft legislation that always benefits, uh, that really serves the interests of the American public. And it's, I think my young, my young protagonist's experience in Washington really reveals some of that world, both uh, some of the seamy sides and some glimpses of, uh, of the best things that can happen in democracy. And, um, and, but they certainly confront in the, in the chapter about bureaucrats, in the chapter about the National Institutes of Sickness, yeah. And yes. in uh, a couple of the other chapters, I think they really do confront um, some of the issues that we face in Washington. No question about it. And, and as I was reading the book, you know, obviously, you know, your book takes place in the early 2000s, which was before the Meaningful Use Program and the rise of electronic medical records. But um, had the book been set a few years farther in the future, you'd have to add a chapter. I think for the um, electronic medical record vendors who have clearly um, had a beneficial relationship with the legislators in Washington in order to literally force you and I to use stuff that maybe we want to use, but maybe we don't. Well, you know, I'm really glad you brought us back to this because um, with, I think, one of the bipartisan parts of the Affordable Care Act were what were called the high-tech provisions, basically the provisions to bring forward electronic records into every practice in the country and every hospital in the country with the goal of being better able to measure the care that we provided so we could begin to pay for value, you know, pay for quality rather than just number of visits or number of services delivered, but to be able to pay for high quality. And some little bits of that have been good and have worked well. For instance, the, the Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare in particular, aren't paying for mistakes as much now. If a patient is readmitted or experiences certain avoidable complications, they don't pay extra for the complications. And to me, that's smart, and many of the other insurers are picking that up, and that's been enabled by electronic records. But as you've pointed out, um, because the requirements around uh, electronic records were wide open, basically the vendors could provide anything they wanted and didn't have to meet any obligation to be able to communicate well with other records or to have the thing you talked about, the back-end connectivity, we ended up with a lot of pretty lousy products in the market that wouldn't talk to one another. And the only one that's uh, won from that, as far as I can tell, has been the medical record vendor companies who have been incredibly profitable, often building products that that practices have had to change out of within, you know, the first year or two of use. Well, it's I know I I've told the story on the air before, so I won't go into too much detail. But I will tell you that the minute meaningful use came out in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, our 
EMR vendor at the corporate level, and, and I don't want to bash our reseller locally because they're great, but at the corporate level, um, they stopped talking to us. Uh, they just said, look, we really don't have time to listen to what customers want because we're basically covered up with what the government wants. And so, you know, we saw quite literally the, the, uh, like the meaningful use requirements just suck the oxygen out of the room. And so we were doing great. And this is the story that I told when I was talking to folks from CMS in December is that for the first five years, so we had five years with meaningful use, five years without. And for the five, first five years, we were kicking butt. We were solving problems no one had even seen before. We were doing really well. And then once meaningful use came out, all of our bandwidth, I mean, never mind the vendor, but all of our bandwidth as a user was, was sucked up just trying to maintain compliance with meaningful use. True innovation, you know, even with me writing my own code between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. stagnated because I was right. writing I was writing everything from you know meaningful use stage one stuff four or five years ago to ICD 10 revisions to our templates you know as recently as a few months ago. Well, you know, and I think one message that I suspect comes through through this book, at least through the experience of the characters, is. As in medical, electronic medical records, as in many sectors in the healthcare industry, there's not just one simple solution. There, the devil to some extent is in the details. And I think as you've pointed out, one of the problems with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, and, and, and this is true of the high tech provisions as well, where there were a tremendous amount of details, 900 pages, you know. Yes. Um, and even though I think there was some agreement around many of the principles, um, there's a lot to clean up still. And I think uh, um, you've contributed to that process, and uh, I think we need a lot more of that kind of con- contribution. You know, if we're going to have... Uh, um, this, uh, uh, you know, have improvements at the federal level. Agreed. Um, so we're actually at the end of the third segment. Um, when we get to the fourth segment, I wonder if, you know, you, you templated a lot of your book off of Dante's Inferno, and I think even the character's name Don was, was sort of named after, I guess, Divine Comedy would be the correct name. But um, we can talk about that maybe a little bit in the next segment or anything we want. Uh, you are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Dr. James Bailey. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, here with very special guest, Dr. James Bailey from UT Memphis, author of an outstanding book. I would call this a must-read called The End of Healing, a story about three young medical students discovering um, some of the realities of medicine in the modern age. And so we're talking with the author, Dr. James Bailey. So I think we we're going to decide on the fourth segment that we were going to, through your book, uh, the theme is sort of uh, Dante's Divine Comedy or Dante's Inferno. So why don't you pick that thread up and kind of fill us in? Well, you know, I've already told you this is a bit of a dark book. And it was born in part out of my own disillusionment and and seeing the dark side of our healthcare system and the problems it had. And as I began in 2004 to think about writing a story about the dark side of healthcare, I thought to myself, what? And, and, and I knew at that time I wanted to write a story about a young physician's journey through the dark side, through the hell of American health care, even though we know there's lots of heroes and, and people in every sector of the health care industry that are working hard to do good, I knew that our system as a whole wasn't organized well and was creating havoc for doctors and patients alike. So I thought, what's the greatest story of a young hero's journey through hell ever told? Well, some might say the 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 Bible and Jesus' story, you know, and some of the things he confronts in his temptations and in his crucifixion. Um, but many people would say Dante's Inferno, that that's the greatest story of that type. And I started, I went back and, and started to read The Inferno, a book I hadn't read closely since college. And what I discovered was that the organization of the Inferno, which is really an ethical or a moral organization, fit perfectly as a way to describe the problems in healthcare. What I discovered was that for every type of mistake, sin or misstep, you know, that humans can make, that there was a similar or similar type of misstep that we could see in our healthcare system um, and in the experience of people in healthcare. Uh, what Dante does, interestingly, is he sets up his hell where he puts up in the upper levels of hell um, the less what he sees as the less severe sins. 
things like an overindulgence in wine, women, song, drugs, sex, whatever. You know, it's the sins of indulgence he puts on the upper level. And those mistakes are like the overindulgence that causes the behavioral health problems that cause much of human health today, overeating, obesity, lack of exercise, drug use, etc. On the second, the, the, the next lowest part of hell for Dante was, uh, were sins of violence, mistakes of violence. And for me, that was a lot like the medical errors, you know, which were mistakes of violence. And then in the lowest levels of hell, he places sins related to or mistakes related to fraud. And for Dante, he saw fraud as the worst type of human mistake because it's knowing and it's a mistake of the mind, a purposeful mistake of the mind to deceive. So he saw deception or fraud as the worst type of human sin and, of course, the worst type of the worst type of fraud for Dante was treachery, right? Treachery uh-huh. like Judas's betrayal of Jesus or or Brutus's betrayal of Caesar. Treachery of our, our tra- being a traitor to our natural lords and master masters. And frankly, there's a lot of fraud in healthcare, and it's not simply submitting false bills, right? But right organizations and people pretending to be things they're not. You know, places where doctors or or insurers or pharmaceutical salesmen pretend to be working in the interest of the patient and maybe even think they are at some level. Sure. But but in truth aren't telling the real story to their patients. So that's really the dark depth that my novel goes into is where where is the fraud, the treachery, the greatest in our healthcare system? And when you think that twenty percent of our economy, you know, two point three trillion dollars, twenty percent of our money is going into this system, you can better believe that there are a few scams going on as we all know. So that's kind of the the way that my story parallels Dante's Inferno. And I think this young Don, this young Dante, discovers many of the same things that his predecessor found back, um, well, 700 years ago, to be exact, because my story came out about 700 years to the to the year after uh, Dante published his Divine Comedy, and you know, as Ecclesiastes says, there probably isn't much new under the sun. You took the words out of my mouth. The institutions may change, and the calendar may change, but the essence of human nature is uh, often uh, a fair constant. So, to that end. Uh, I was going to ask you here in the last few minutes, um, you had some reaction to this book, I'm sure, because as you speak the truth to those who would prefer it was never heard, um, things are going to happen. 
So what happened? Well, um, we name in the end of healing about two, three hundred different companies, some of which are still doing business in America. And um, the good news has been that, you know, none of them have sued us. Everything's documented using public sources. You know, it is a historical novel. And, and, um, and in fact, most of these industries themselves, even the ones that get kind of a bad rap in this story, have been working hard to improve. Some of them more than others, I have to say. But I've been first and foremost surprised by how many... Um, people working in these industries, from insurance to pharmacy to the device manufacturers to surgeons to internists to nurses, etc., um, to, to the extent to which they have said, yes, this story tells it like it is, and it hurts. It hurts badly at times, but... I recognize I can accept it because I see I'm not the only part of the problem, right? I see that this is a pervasive problem that's affecting um, all the sectors, really, of our healthcare industry, and that some of the solutions are returning to our values, returning to old-fashioned values about what we care most about and insisting on from our health care, um, high value. Um, uh, so I think it is a story about values, a story about ethics, and in general it's been very well received. I have to say it hasn't been well received by everyone, and, and uh, sometimes you, know, you hate to make friends angry. But, uh, but on the, the whole, um, you know, I think people that have read it have uh, that have actually read it cover to cover have found it affirming, and it also is uh, is a hopeful story. It's a comedy, like the Divine Comedy, in the sense that it has a happy ending. And I really believe that um, American healthcare has the potential to be truly a marvel and to be the kind of patient-centered, to provide the kind of patient-centered care that people need and that everybody needs for their family and loved ones and for our, uh, the care we provide to almost always be reliable, effective, and safe. So I think many of the solutions are happening around us, and in many cases, the very industries that get a hard rap in this story are the ones leading the change. So we've got what? I'm looking at the timer here. About two and a half minutes left. So, again, in all fairness, Dr. Bailey doesn't know I'm going to hit him with this question. So who knows where this is going to go. But you have mentioned a couple of times in the show about value-based medicine. So when we talk about value-based medicine with our group, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, we always hit up against one question that we have a great deal of difficulty answering, and it's this. How do you measure value in healthcare? Wow, that is a tough final question. It's a hard, it's a hard <laughs> question. And if you don't know the answer, that's cool because we don't either. 
but, uh, you know, and especially when you talk about it in the context of health information technology, you know, the, the, the cell coming from the health IT community is all you got to do is plug it in and turn it on and metrics will magically appear. Big data will magically appear. And all of a sudden, you know, you can come up with an answer without even asking the question. I mean, there's not even any scientific method. There's no, here's our hypothesis. We design our data set to measure the hypothesis. We compare the data against the hypothesis and draw a conclusion. It's, we're going to dump, you know, claims data and clinical data from 10,000 patients into a big digital hopper, and out's going to come answers to questions we didn't even know to ask. Yes, I think I think that's all well said, and I think defining value is hard, and it's an ancient question, and um, not simply easily answered. What we've learned is that it's not so simply how many times you see the patient, right, in internal medicine. Oh, that's or right. It's not it's not simply how many. Uh, um, how many procedures we do or how many moles we cut off if we're a dermatologist. Truly. Really, it, um, and at a very simple level, I think we're moving toward where part of quality and part of value that part of what we want to pay for is outcomes. And, of course, you know as well as I that outcomes are sometimes difficult to measure, and they vary for every discipline. For every area, what is what are the best outcomes? You know, of, oh, yeah. uh, of a given procedure or a given condition, and so it's partly outcomes, and it's partly consumer satisfaction. Okay, glad you brought you know? that last one up because that's if we had another segment, that's where I would get on my soapbox a little bit because I think it's there's got to be a component of of you know what happens in the rest of the economy, which is you go and have an experience and get a good or a service and and uh, and vote with your feet. But anyhow, believe it or not, we are out of time for all four segments, so we are done. Thank you very much, Dr. Bailey. You've been listening to the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio with Dr. Jim Bailey, author of The End of Healing. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.